Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 46. For those of you new to the show, my name's Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, the live circuit. Daniel Sloss is a comedian who went pro before the age of 20, having started in comedy at the age of 16. I talked to him about certain career choices he made, including shunning some TV shows and what it was like to be put on TV at such a young age, as well as his thoughts on the worst show he's ever done and being pushed ahead of his peers into bigger and better sets and what that did to him internally and what it made him do in terms of his professionalism towards the industry. He's really interesting, he's really switched on and I really enjoyed talking to him about this. We also got quite into the Dapper Laughs issue that happened a little while ago where he signed a petition that sort of said, I can't remember what the petition was specifically saying, but it was about how Dapper Laughs shouldn't be allowed to say some of the things he's saying, and uh, we got into a little bit about censorship, about his TED Talk, and about his opinions on whether he should or shouldn't have said that now, and it was quite humbling, because he sort of apologised for it a little bit, so yeah... So yeah, I won't say much more because I just want to get straight into this interview. If you're enjoying this podcast, please remember to join the Facebook group. It is called RC Industry Podcast and it is on Facebook, of course. If you have a minute, please do leave me an honest review in iTunes. It really helps out in getting new and more exciting guests on, so that would be great. Also, there will be about six days when this podcast goes live that you can still pre-order my book. It is called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. It is £5 digitally. It is £8 paperback. And if you would like a copy, it would mean a lot to me and it would really, really help my dream of trying to get this book self-published out the door. So if you want to look in the show notes, click through. It's a how-to guide for artists and creators to build an audience around what they do using free content and then asking that audience to support them and to help them continue creating the things that they value and that the artist loves to do. In my case, that involves writing books and making podcasts. So if you would like to support me and you would like to buy my book and you think the book sounds interesting, that would be amazing if you would like to get a copy. If you don't want a copy, but you would like to gift it to someone else, do that. That would be amazing. So thank you very much for listening to my pitch. Without any more delays, this is Daniel Sloss. I, I don't know. It, LA's a bit, like in the, in the States, it's a little bit different. Like I'm going to New York and I've never been to New York before, so I'll probably... Uh, go out and see that a little bit, and like, but 
was, I just don't get the point of tourism. Like we were in Paris two years ago on tour, and Kai Humphreys, my supporter, was like, "Let's go see the Eiffel Tower," and I'm just like, just "Google it." Like it looks exactly what you th- like what you think it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if you go there, it's just gonna be filled with Parisians talking. <laughs> like I've got. Whereas with New York, I sort of feel like. Um, there's some bits of it I do want to see, but I haven't any any of the tourism I want to do in New York is is comedy based. Like I want to go see Gotham, I want to go see the comedy clubs, I want to go see uh, those sort of places, and I'll be I'll be there anyway, um, hopefully. Um, so yeah, I reckon I'll, I'll see a little bit. I'm not that bad of a tourist, but like some places, if it's like I was in Wisconsin and I only, and I was there for five days and I only went between the hotel and the comedy club because. For me, that's the fun part. I get, you get on with the staff, you hang out with the staff afterwards, you get steaming drunk with them, and then you're hungover and you go find the closest food place, and then you just go, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was lovely parts of Wisconsin and Madison, but uh, it was also freezing. <laughs> yeah. like it was proper, like it was like January-level cold. And, right. Uh, I was just like, nah, it's not worth seeing some buildings that I don't understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I've done that before where I've been... I've been indoors and I've been like, I should probably live. Yeah. I should probably live. And then I looked out the window and gone, it's quite cold. Yeah, it's absolutely freezing. It's I've been freezing. to do that, yeah. I, I mean, for years with it, when I came down to London, I didn't, un- I, I was born in London, but uh, I didn't understand. I used to get the train from Piccadilly Circus to Leicester Square after the comedy store. Right. And before the bouncers were like, you know, that's 500 yards away from each other. And yeah. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was just used to get the train between them because I was an right. idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so London's a bit different. New York, I'll go see LA. LA is too big. Like I go down Santa Monica because it's just nice to sort of hang out, and then just uh, I go down there just on the off chance that I'll ever see Conor McGregor working out because he does a lot of training over there, and he's all his, his, his Instagram videos are of him training at the beach, and I love love Conor McGregor. Yeah, he's a UFC fighter. I've not no. Oh, he's, like, I've got a picture of him as my background on my phone because I'm that <laughs> much of a loser. Conor no, McGregor, fine. he is an absolute god amongst men. Well, wow, all right. I will. I'll be doing some googling later. Oh, absolutely. He's the he's, the, he's our generation's Muhammad Ali. Oh, okay, fair yeah. enough. Uh, I I am I'm aware of one quote from Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Uh, the the classic uh, sting like a bee and yeah. fly like a yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Float like a butterfly. Sting like I'm not yeah. even aware of it. Yeah. But hey, yeah, 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 because he was. I I didn't watch much uh, Ali fights. Uh, I don't I'm not really into boxing. Right. I just think it's such a lame way of doing it. Like I'm in, I'm into MMA because you know it's there's. It's just, like it's actual sort of fight and it's safer as well yeah if you've got the boxing gloves on yeah, yeah, yeah. it rattles your brain around you can do permanent damage so it's the same reason why American football is more dangerous than rugby because yeah. your body's designed to be knocked out at certain points not to have your brain rattle around in your head right uh, and boxing just seems like oh it's, so it's like fighting except you can't use anything else other than balloon fists yeah 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 and yeah. yeah I watched the Floyd Mayweather fight where there was Manny Pacquiao it was the dullest thing I've ever seen in my life. Everyone, yeah. was, like, everyone was like, yeah, but technically it's brilliant. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't watching it for the technical brilliance. No, exactly. I was yeah. watching it for violence. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. It's uh, it's weird when someone gets... like, I mean, I, I get like that with stand-up where I'm like, I want to watch it for the for the technique or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. when it comes to boxing or, or ice hockey or something, I'm like, I just want to see them either knock each other over yeah. or push the puck or ball or whatever the, whatever yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, do the thing as well yeah. as they can. I'm yeah, the same. Yeah. I, st- I study stand-up. Like, really, like, I watch the same specials. Over and over again, like mm. I watch, must watch Bill Burnham's What about seven times a year. Um, say with Bill Burr and Louis C.K. and just watch the nuances and yeah, like how they craft a joke and stay in the bits. Yeah, I think it's genius. Yeah, totally. Now, uh, how are you, so like, w- right, let's let's stick with the young yeah. stuff for now. Um, 
You were 17 when you started? Yeah. You did a comedy course, right? I did a comedy course when I was 16, and then I okay. did one gig when I was 16, but I don't consider that the start of my stand-up career, because it wasn't a real comedy club, it was like 14 people in the audience, and if you ask any of them what I did that night, it was not comedy. It's just, right. I put first thing, my first gig is the Stand Comedy Club, uh, 2007, September the 18th? Something like that, Red Raw, and so it was like a real comedy club. So I was like, "Nah, it's my first gig." So you, because I've tried to book the stand before, and you, they booked that in advance. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. how long ahead of time did you think I'm going to book this, and why that club? Um, so I, I start when I when I was about sixteen. Uh, I was very lucky to sort of uh, hang out with uh, Frankie Boyle because he knew I sort of wanted to get into stand up, and he sort of let me come to his show and sort of see how he wrote jokes, and then sent me off to meet like other comics like Andrew Maxwell and Glenn Wool and. Uh, Craig Campbell and Adam Hills so that was back in the 2017 festival um, and then uh, he sent me he put in a good word for me at the stand and I just went there's a kid that wants to try stand up so I think they might have bumped me up the roster a little bit and then I had a good couple of gigs but I was between the gigs it was about a two three month waiting list um, fortunately I was good uh, so that sort of helped speed up and I was local speed up the process and it was nowhere near like now I've got friends that are trying to get on Red Raw and they're just like the waiting list is like a year and yeah. it's, it's mind blowing so I think I think I got, I got lucky before it got like mm. as popular as it is now um, yeah. so I managed to I think I joined at the right time okay and yeah because you wrote for Frankie Boyle for Mock the Week yeah something that's continuously taken out of context um, was <laughs> everyone's just like he wrote jokes for Frankie Pot like Frankie took me under his wing because he knew I wanted to do stand up and then as a sort of little writing technique it was like oh, if you want you can write some of the sort of bits for uh, Mock the Week and then he would sort of criticise how to write and to teach how to write to a deadline and stuff and like he used one or two of the jokes but there was absolutely no point in his career that he was sat backstage and the way being like I can't go on Daniel Sloss hasn't sent through his stuff it was <laughs> I was not a valuable asset to him in any way shape or form he was just a very kind man who went above and beyond the Call of Duty to help out a aspiring stand-up comic and was there was there a reason why I mean was he helping other people or was he helping you my mum met him at a gig uh, he was doing a corporate gig for her company and she obviously knew I wanted to be a stand-up so she just went my son's got a couple of... Would you mind answering some questions? And he was, he was just like, sure, here's my email address. And then I emailed him. And he was like, I'll be honest, I can't be bothered replying to this email. Why don't you just come and hang out with me? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. That's right, yeah. So went to that and he was, yeah, great. And really, really, really uh, filled me with sort of uh, confidence and just gave me a massive, massive boost in an already sort of competitive industry. Mm. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I suppose that helps quite early on, especially because at the time, probably quite young, didn't really like know the industry very yeah, well. Didn't know what to do. And didn't have management. Yeah. And so for someone who obviously you've seen on TV, I assume, and you yeah. know, seen oh, for years. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was such a kind and wonderful thing. The, uh, yeah, yeah. And and how many gigs did you? So you'd gone to Edinburgh, twenty uh, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven was yeah. So two thousand seven on that that August. I mean, I go to the French every year, but. That was the month that I did the, the comedy, the two-day comedy course. Right. And then there was the gig at the, just, like, near the end of the festival then. And then after that was when I did my first gig at the stand. Okay. So you didn't perform 2007? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So we just turned 17. So my birthday was on, my birthday was on the 11th, and I gigged six days after that. Okay. And then you went back 2008 to do the a split first show. show. No, for, was my first show in 2008? 
Again, according to Wikipedia. I <laughs> no, it, no, no, uh, no. Yeah, no. The year, yeah, I did, I did my first fringe, but it was a double header show. Yeah. It was like uh, me and another comic called Davy Connor did a half an hour show, fifteen minutes each. Mm. Um, that great. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Free fringe, like twelve forty-five in the afternoon. Just had it. We only did like a week run, but it was absolute rammed every day, just because we got people on their lunch breaks and. Uh, yeah, it was great. Really loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and how was how was promoting that then? Because like, because obviously in the fringe, it shows at different times you different yeah. levels of well. And like you said, you probably got lunch break people. But I've done a show at twelve fifteen, and I've had days where no one turned up, and then I've had days where I couldn't let everyone in. We had such a we had a, such a unique selling point in the fact that it was a half an hour show. Yeah, um, true. It was free. It was right beside the room. It was at SBNI, so we were just like mm. it's over there, and it's in you know an hour. And also just been like, oh, I'm 17, and you know, uh, you know, and Frankie'd said something nice about me. And was just like, you know, this kid. And I was like, oh, Frankie Ball's a fan. And this was back when Frankie was still on Mock the Week. So mm. you just go, Frankie Ball's a fan of mine. People go, oh, well, well, absolutely. Like, it's worth It's free and it's half an hour. Of course, we'll be there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was completely rammed every day. Uh, I mean, I had to flyer, which is the, just the most soul destroying thing. I haven't done it since. Mm. Uh, did, I, did, I did one week of flyering, and I very much said, I was like, not doing that again. Is that is that you haven't flyered because you now are at a profile where your show sells out or because you got flyers to do it for you? I got flyers to do it for me. Okay, right. <laughs> I hire people, yeah. The year after, I got my best friend, Ali, because uh, he flyered me, with me with the year we were doing Life in 2D, the, 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 the doubleheader. Ali flyered with me, and then the year after, I was like, do you want to, I'll pay you if you fly for me. Um, just because, yeah, it was such a... Yeah, it was just such a confidence knocker for me. And just, I've, absolutely, I've got undying respect for those people that can and do it. And I know loads of people that are amazing at flyering their own shows. But straight away, I was like, nah, fuck that. I'll, I'll pay the money to not have to do that. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, And I suppose, uh, I mean, did that did that cause you to... Are, were you still doing Free Fringe by that point then? Your first no, no, first one in 2009 was my first one. That was Teenage Kicks. Uh, that was at the Pleasance uh, Dome. Because obviously the big the big four cost a lot more than the free friends to do. Yeah. And if you add in the cost of uh, flyers and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did that mean that? Did you? I mean, how did you do audits wise for that? Let's uh, that sold. I have, I, have, I have a very 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 fucking good agent. Okay. Um, oh, you had an agent by two thousand and nine. Yeah, she put. Okay. She, I did life in two D and uh, the the double header show with Davy Connor, uh, and just threw up mixture things. My agent had heard of me through several things. One, the so you think you're funny final, which I was in in two thousand and eight. Yep. Um, so she turned me through Julia Chamberlain, um, who was has, has, ever since then has just been the kindest, most supportive woman. Uh, so my agent heard me through her, and then I gigged with Jamon, who she's also the agent of. Jamon saw me, loved me, and then I randomly flyered uh, the husband of one of her oldest friends who works in PR. Uh, and so she heard from Three Points, like, there's this 17 year old kid that you should probably look at, and then met up with her. Uh, signed with her she sent me on a five day tour with Jamon and then she was like you should probably still go to university my mum was like don't go to university take a year off take a gap here before you go to university some people go out and find themselves why don't you just stay and work on stand up if you can always just go back next year and uh, the month before I was due to go to university I did my first run at the Edinburgh Festival and it was sold out every day because my agent is exceptional at what she does okay so well, there's a load of stuff in that yeah. that I wanted to go through. So, uh, 2008, I know you went to the Fringe and you were doing that split show. Yeah, so yeah, and the so and you the think so funny, funny. And you were the youngest uh, finalist for that. Yes, I so. at the time. Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's a unique selling point as it is, which will kind of grab 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that's done at the end of the fringe, isn't it? So yeah. So the semi-finals is like halfway through. I think I did the semi-final like the thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, and then the finals like on the twenty-seventh or something like that. So did being in that actually help you? So like when you were because fl- obviously you didn't. You can't just update your flyers on the last yeah. weekend and say I am the finalist or whatever. It was. It's we put on semi-finalist on the flyers. Right. And then, uh, but I th- my run was done before I became a finalist. I okay. think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you so your run selling out was pretty much through your flyering, just through flyering. Yeah. Okay, uh, which you didn't like. No, um, which you didn't like, but we, we were we were good at. Okay, and then you got an agent at the end of Edinburgh that year. Uh, yeah, pretty much halfway. Yeah, yeah, we we didn't sign anything. I've not signed a contract with my agent. Uh, it's purely based on trust. Oh, uh, so you've never signed a contract? Never signed a contract with her. Never will. But I will never in my life leave her. Like this is yeah no. That's really interesting because so how. how how does that work? She got me wise? a house. She what? She got me a house. Okay. Like, well, no, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying like, oh, what's happening there? Yeah. It's just a really interesting thing. That oh, you it's, would not it's have purely signed. trust. Like her whole thing, she was like, look, I'm going to work my ass off for you, and it's, it's purely trust. And she has, yeah, like uh, every, everything I have, I put some of it down to myself, but I put a lot of it down to her. Like okay. the success I have would not. I would not have if it was not her. I reckon I could have gone with a bunch of other agencies and I would not be where I am today if it was not for my current agent. Who's uh, your agent? Marlene Zwickler. Okay, and that's MZA, isn't it? MZA, yeah, yeah. 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 So she's uh, me, Jim Owen, Kai Humphreys, Craig Hill, Mark Nelson, Mickey Bartlett, and uh, oh, she's got a new one, but I'm not allowed to, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to say okay. his name. So. And how, so how many gigs would you say you'd done by the time you'd gone to Edinburgh 2008? Uh, ooh, uh, Oh, it must be. It must have been about forty, forty, forty or fifty. So you've done so between two thousand and seven, the stand gig, yeah, yeah. and going to Edinburgh and doing a fifteen-minute spot, yeah. You've done forty gigs, uh, yeah, I think and, so. And then obviously it's the final of an amazing competition, yeah, yeah. and then picked up an agent. Yeah. Did you ever at any point, and this is with all due respect, think, "Wow, this is too quick"? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, still do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still very aware. Right. Uh, yeah, I've, my whole career, uh, career has been shitting myself of when is this going to end? Like, yeah. this has to peter out at some point. Mm. Um, but thankfully, the you know, the way my agent sort of worked with me, it's... I'm now, when I was 17, I never, I never in my fucking wildest dreams thought I was actually going to be like a working comic making, uh, m- making a living. Uh, you know, and gigging and getting to travel the world, so... And, and I now am, which is why I don't have any further ambitions. <laughs> like, a, like anything, I've always said, anything from here on in is a bonus. Right. Like, I am literally living my dream job. I never thought I'd be at this stage. Uh, I am, I think, hundreds and thousands of people go through their life never achieving their dream. Mm. And the fact that I have to then have another one is just such a fucking arrogant way. I yeah. More, want to do more. Why? I'm so happy where I am. Okay. So, you're sort of, I don't want to say... Uh, complacent, but you're you're perfectly content at the moment. If if my career doesn't go any further than this, and if it stays where it is, die happy man. Don't get me wrong; I'd love to do more. Mm. You know, I'd love to get to the stage where you know, selling out theatre tours. I'd love to be able to like tour America. Mm. Um, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah but, that's, but that comes down to you doing more stand up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. not really doing anything different than what you're doing now, except yeah. for the bigger crowds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just I, I just want to be the best. Okay. What, I just want to be the best stand up in the world. Okay. And the way to do that is by, you know, just doing what I'm doing, which is gigging as much as I can, doing the fringe every year, touring every year. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just enjoying it. Like, yeah. 
See, that, that strikes me as interesting because I've been watching Muff, the, uh, the sitcom that you've been writing with um, David Stade. Uh, Stade, yeah. And uh, obviously I've been watching Crowdsource, that kind of yeah. thing. And, and obviously you're going to America tomorrow, is it? Or uh, Monday, Monday. Monday, yeah. Monday. And you're, you've, you've, Conan, you've just done that for the fourth time and stuff? So it, yeah, yeah. Fifth time, sorry. No, I'm doing it for the fifth time on Tuesday, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So, so from an outsider's point of view you look a lot more driven than you sound like you might be at the moment to get something additional to what you have now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, kind of, I mean, with Muff, there was no... Muff was just uh, a fuck you to everyone. Like, that's <laughs> why... Yeah, Muff was... Yeah, it was just... Because we were just sick of being like, oh, you've got to, to get something made, you've got to do it this way. And we were just like, why? Yeah. Like, I am sick of... Uh, people uh, high up in the BBC who have never stepped foot in a comedy club in seven years going up to young talent and telling them what's funny mm. you, you, you don't have the right to tell a comedian what's funny uh, all you, I mean don't get me BBC have produced some amazing shows there's some, some of my favourite uh, comedy shows have been on the BBC but some of them are utter fucking shite and I don't I've, I've seen so many good comics have shows that are not as good as they could be and it's never the comedian's fault it's someone who's not been in a comedy club who doesn't understand comedy who bases humour on the ratings that it gets and the viewership which I understand exactly that's their, that is yeah, their that's job their model, I absolutely yeah. understand that mm. but so and, and so and that, it makes sense to me but we didn't want to do that we were like we want to make something that makes us laugh mm. and I don't want someone coming in being like is that funny and we're just like well we all laughed so yes. yes yeah no it is we, we all laughed yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Muff was just and also we just wanted to see if we could like yeah. it was really like because you know it's all film I was sitting there you know snidely bitching about oh, you know all these production companies and you know they're like how dare you tell us what's funny and all this and then we're like oh god maybe we like it's all fine and well just sitting there mourning but let's see if we actually can mm. and we just managed it. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we did not raise anywhere near the money uh, that we thought we needed. Uh, and yeah, I mean, at points we were sitting and being like, oh God, this would have been good if we did have someone on this job that knew what they were doing. Like, we understand. Yeah. But then we did do it. And I would argue tooth and nail with anyone that uh, Muff uh, visually, uh, like the way it was filmed, thanks to Troy Edigay. Uh, our cameraman and thing. I would I would I would argue that it is as good as most of the stuff uh, on BBC. It's not it's not groundbreaking. It's not exceptional. It's got holes, plot holes in it that are massive. It's deeply flawed. But it was our first ever thing. We filmed like six episodes in twenty days with like six thousand pounds and ten crew members, and uh, we'd never done anything like it before. And we and yeah, the, only in the past two months have I become proud of Muff before I was absolute, I was terrified I was absolutely terrified right because it was such a could we really put ourselves out there because we were like mm. fuck the system yeah yeah and yeah. then we then we're like oh god maybe we shouldn't have said fuck the system yeah, yeah, like yeah. maybe we should have a bit more respect for the system because <laughs> yeah. this is way harder than we thought it would maybe we shouldn't have left before the system woke up and yeah, got, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but the, with the way Muff's gone uh, I mean don't get me wrong. I, I would love to do stuff on Devil. I've got the I've got a deal with Warner Brothers and Conoco, um, and stuff, and I'm fully aware that that is going to be the same sort of system. Where you go through pitching, mm. and then people get involved. I, you know, would love to do uh, stuff because there is so many things to learn 
through the through the process and mm. you know um but I, I'm definitely going to do more stuff like just online content just stuff that I film with the same guys I filmed them off with and other ideas just because it was just so much fun it was like it was fun all the way through which it was just a bunch of friends making something to just like it's like when camera phones came out when you were like 15 and you were all yeah. just making stupid little videos it was just like that but with yeah. like a professional crew yeah 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 um, yeah it was great it's like uh, you mentioned Louis CK earlier yeah. it was like I've seen him in an interview where he said that because uh, he directs edits writes stuff you know all that stuff in his sitcom yeah. and he said like I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't have like gone through you know classes and learnt all the, how lenses work and everything and I'm like well would you now because you can go on YouTube and look up how stuff yeah. works and, and you know where lenses cut off and all this kind of stuff I mean I've, I've literally on Tuesday I just recorded my DVD like yeah. on my own and you know like I got, I got the venue and I got the camera crew to get and I did everything yeah. and it was great and it felt amazing it was like oh I don't have to wait to get permission I yeah, can yeah, just yeah. do it I mean I don't know how many people will buy it, but I can yeah, yeah. But that, that's, and that's exactly what, just just do it like yeah. uh, quoting Nike for no reason um, yeah that's and that's I think the way is what people need to do more like I mean with uh, all these uh, TV companies that make these shows there is absolutely uh, a place for them and mm. you know it, the stuff they do and they've made some excellent stuff but then again you, but what I think they do a lot of the time is they make you think that that's the only way for it to be done they have to yeah in some ways because if we all realised I mean I just uh, the last interview that went out was with mm. Ian Coyle who is the Dave Comedy Commissioner yeah and in it I was talking to him about how they, why, how they commission something like what's their criteria and he said well I'm not really a commissioner I'm an ad man like someone comes to me with an idea and says oh it's got Frankie Boyle in it or whatever I can go to advertise and say we know Frankie Boyle will bring in X number of viewers because he's got a mm. consistent track record essentially we can sell an advert in the middle let's commission it yeah. and so he, he was like I thought it was going to be great now I'm in my job and I'm like actually this is not the job I thought I was going to get yeah. and, it's a, and it's a weird one I've got Shane Allen coming on to him the BBC comedy commissioner and, and I'm interested to see because they don't really have advertising on, well they mm. don't have advertising on this so although they have stakeholders and people to uh, agree with yeah. it's sort of going to be interesting to find out how they because like you mentioned the BBC I just thought it was just an interesting I've, I've worked with the BBC before and there's lots of people you did the adventures of Daniel <laughs> yeah. yeah which is a perfect example of one of the reasons why I don't have respect for certain parts of it like The Adventures of Daniel was was never the idea that came out. I had a lot of everyone that worked on that show worked their fucking ass off, like Gemma Rogers and uh, all the crew and Tim Allsop and and and, and Stuart. And the, the writers were amazing, but it was they 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 all worked within the confines of the people that were never involved in the show. Set them. We were like, oh, we want to make a show about a young stand up. You know, comedian just sort of life on the road, and they were like, "Oh well, what if it's about him and his girlfriend?" And we were like, that's "No, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's not." And they were like, "No, but we think that's great." And we're like, "And Tim, Tim and the we're just saying, we're like, this isn't the idea we came up with, but it was it very much do what we say, or you don't get it." And we were just like, "All right, well, let's go." You clearly know what you're talking about, mm. and they and then they didn't, didn't. commission it. And no, no, no. Um, which I, which I'm not that. I th- I, I, now in hindsight I'm, gl- I'm glad I think it would have might have sent me down a different path comedy wise mm. than I've gone down now mm. uh, it sort of allowed me to sort of uh, if that if Adventures and uh, Daniel had gone successful I fear maybe I would have gone mainstream and right uh, are you avoiding that? yeah, yeah. interesting um, yeah no I, I, I like comedy with substance 
Um, and you think, how, how would you define a mainstream comic then? Maybe with a given example if you want. But okay. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Listen, if, uh, and don't get me wrong, I've got absolute respect. I think he's, uh, I mean, stagecraft wise, but he's never said anything in his life. Right. Like, and it's funny. It's funny. Look, look, yeah, yeah you, can, you can be funny, but not yeah, say anything. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I've got absolute respect for that. Like, look, I've, I've zero. I'm never going to criticize Peter K. The man sells out tours. He's one of the mm. biggest comics in this country. Mm. People love him. He reduces people to tears. I. It's not my. But it's not my sort of comedy. Yeah. I'll watch it and I'll laugh. But I. I prefer you know the likes of Louis C.K. and Bill Burr and Carlin and uh, Jim Jeffries and Tim Minchin and Bo Burnham and Tignataro and Maria Bamford and uh, Mike Birbiglia. All these comics with substance. Would you not? So, if we took Louis C.K., Bill Burr, and, and yeah. Tim Minchin, or whatever, at what point would you... I mean, would you, I would say that they are mainstream now. Oh, no, I absolutely wouldn't. You would ask, you, how would ask, you define mainstream now? Go ask anyone in the street right now who Louis C.K. is. Oh, that's how you're... Defi- yeah. Okay, because I'm defining it as in comedy, size absolutely. of audience. Yeah, 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 oh, okay, yeah. fine. If we're talking in comedy, yeah, Louis C.K., right. uh, Bill Burr, mentioned they're all... Oh, yeah, I, I mentioned Louis to my dad the other day. No and idea. He had no idea. He had mm. no idea. And then I said McIntyre, and he went, oh, I know who that is. Of course. Is. And I was like, how do you know who that is? But not in an offensive way to McIntyre, because he, he's an easy target, and he's always used as a target. And, he, and he shouldn't be. McIntyre's no, work ethic no, is sublime, and he's a yeah. great comic. But I'm sure if I... Okay, let's do Peter K. then. I'm sure if I mentioned Peter K. to my dad, he'd Absolutely. know, right? My problem with that is I, I like, like I'm probably with you on this. I like substance in yeah. my comedy. I like someone who goes up on stage and makes me laugh, and then I go away, and later on I'm like thinking, yeah, no, not maybe at the time, but at the, later on yeah. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, and it's kind. Of, in fact, that was um, I was going to ask you about this, but we we're talking about it kind of now your TED talk. I remember you did. Oh, yeah. uh, wait, no, all right. <laughs> no, no, you can't. I was, I was, I was, I was 22. I was so nervous. Um, it was such a tiny crowd. I wish I could have done it in a thousand different ways looking back on it but I guess that's what hindsight is yes hindsight I always uh, I've, st- I've, I've in therapy I'm trying not to do this now yeah. but I every time I look back at myself a year ago I go you were a fucking idiot and they're trying she's trying to teach me not to do that because apparently that's really damaging but I oh, always really? think if you, I always think if you don't do that you've not been trying hard enough to improve yeah yeah I do I if I don't hate myself two years ago, oh yeah, I've not improved. Yeah, that's what I think. But I apparently, would hate it's you're meant to at least look at it in a positive way of your improvement, not you were a wanker. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. No, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. Yeah, no. Okay. Maybe in ten years' time. Maybe in ten years' time, I'll look. Oh no, I did it like a month later. I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Did I say that to her? Oh god. Yeah. But, like, ten, but ten years' time, I think it's enough time for me to be like, ah, oh, that was a different guy. Two years ago, I'm like, oh god, I like I. Re- Remember those thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I can remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember it's that feeling. Close. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember because in your TED talk you were talking about how um, a story is just a story mm. and a joke's just a joke, and therefore um, you know we, we as comedians shouldn't be judged or censored in the same way, like or in the way that we are getting censored mm. in some ways. And and do you think that's got worse since you've done that TED talk? No, then? We're not being. It's nice for us to think that we're being censored. We're we're not. Like when has anything been? Yeah, yeah, okay, the BBC might not put certain things out, but that's because they'll get complaints. They'll get Ofcom. Mm. There are sad losers out there who go out of their way to get offended by things because mm. it makes them feel alive and important. And I think being offended by something is the most self-involved, narcissistic thing a human being is capable of. To go and watch a comedy show with anywhere between 80 and 3,000 other people in the room and for that comedian to say something and for you to be upset. I'm like, oh, that was about me. No, it wasn't. Mm. This is a tour. Mm. Like, this guy, like... But do we have anybody something like Bill Burr says when he's doing a tour to 100,000 people and for you to be like, oh, that was aimed at me. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. 
but they're not being people might not come people the reason people think we're being censored is just because no one thanks to the internet everyone's got an opinion and they'll yeah. hear it and it does, sometimes it does feel like well you said I can't say this who has ever been physically arrested on stage in this country or America no like, I can't think of anyone yeah yeah, or even close like oh, oh yeah there's there's the loud rally cli- cries yeah. of all this sort of stuff but yeah no it's never really sort of the only time it's censorship is, you know, if you are trying to make something that goes on to television, mm. um, and that's not really then, censorship, really. Yeah. It's, it's it's not. Oh, you can't say that because of this. It's just like you can't say can't because it's BBC. Yeah, you're you well, you're you're going. So, like you said, if I if I if I record a video and put it up online, I can say anything. I can go. Oh, I hate children, or I can I can say any. I can't think of anything more offensive than that mm. right now. But I can say something really horrible, mm. and because it's my platform, I can do that. Mm. It's like um, Katie Hopkins. If she wants to tweet something, yeah. she can say that. And you have to sort of go, well, I don't necessarily agree with it, mm. but that's her platform. Yeah. Whereas if she goes on uh, ITV or uh, Good Morning or whatever yeah. and, and says, says this thing, and then you go, uh, I hate immigrants or something, yeah. then you, you know, you're you should, on their platform. Yeah. You, she shouldn't be able to say it there and stuff. I remember, because um, there was that thing with Dapper Laughs a while ago. Um, oh, yeah. And I think, didn't you sign a. Yeah, which I regret massively. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I sh- absolutely should not have signed that. Why not? C- well, I disagreed with what you s- said. Like, I. Like, yeah, like I've yeah, it was what it was. I got caught up in the hype. I still don't agree with a lot of the things he said, but I had no right to stop him from saying things. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I massively regret that. Do you, um, th- do you think he was treated correctly or badly? Um, I think I th- I think it was one of the problems. Like I, uh, it was it was it was very hard, and you know I was absolutely just swept away by the rage machine. Like it was two years ago, I got caught up in the hype, and I was like, "Oh, I've got an opinion on this too," um, because you know I didn't agree with some of the things he said, and I thought, uh, but then I just it was so hypocritical. I was, I was, I was don't watch it. Why did I? Ju- why did I just? Why did I follow him? Why did I go out of my way to watch the videos that yeah. I knew were gonna? It was pathetic of me. Yeah. Um, now with the ITV thing. The the it was an interesting art. Everyone thinks it's black and white. He was wrong. He was this. No, he was saying some things uh, that we disagreed with. And the problem was, even if he didn't mean them, which I now I don't think he necessarily meant the things. Some of the things he said, I think he was, but he was caught up in the wave of his his fans, that fan base that came up, the fans that if he was being ironic, which n- nobody apart from him knows whether it was a character really or what his intent behind it was, but he starts getting positive feedback from doing this thing he starts doing it a bit more he goes a bit too far and then the left get outraged mm. and but then he's got so many people saying yeah this is great and then so many people saying this is awful and I think he was just re- reacting um, I still don't agree with anything he said but I don't uh, I should not have joined in that witch hunt personally me okay. it was very hypocritical of me yeah I could I could see why I can see why that'd be hypocritical. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't trying to imply that. I just, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. it's, no it's, it's something I've ever since then. Clyde Humphreys absolutely called me out of it in an argument they were having, mm. and I just went, "Oh fuck it, you're, you're right. I was wrong." Yeah, I mean, I I got involved in it briefly, and I all I basically said was, "I think comedy can have change. It can have an impact on people's opinions on things, and it can definitely." Uh, like like we said before, you know, can make people think, and it can make you at least think about your opinions, or think about mm. how your actions, or or if you look at like the in betweeners, or you know something like that, where bus wankers became like a thing people were shouting for yeah. a while, or clunge was like a regular phrase and stuff. Yeah. And and you know, and if you and at the time when he was a lot bigger than he is, I mean, he's still big, but uh, you know, if you searched for uh, you know like women getting yelled at moist and things like this, yeah, that was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and for me, that was like I was like he. 
even if he doesn't think that that is something that's happening, it is. Yeah. And I think to not acknowledge that you're having an impact in this way yeah, and, uh, was wrong. Yeah. I wouldn't stop him saying anything. I don't think, I don't think it's fair for me to get involved in that. Yeah. But I do think... I didn't know whether he was self-aware enough to know that that was something that was... Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I agree. Like, uh, you know, he, it did, I don't doubt that it did have uh, a negative sort of thing in a lot of people. And obviously because I'm not a woman, I never, I'm, I'm not getting any of this. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that sort of things. you know, I, I was never going to be the victim of any of it. Um, so that's also why my opinion on the subject doesn't really matter. Yeah, I have that moment. So I, uh, if I ever do a joke anywhere near feminism or anything like that, I sometimes think to myself, I still need to write it as a guy because mm. cause I've never been catcalled or mm. I've never been sent a dick pic or I've never, you know what I mean? So, or an unsolicited dick pic even. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So as a result, if I. So you've been sent solicited dick pics? I've been loads. <laughs> loads. Feel free to tweet me. Actually, I don't want to do I've been encouraging interactive bits for this podcast. The last thing I want is. Yeah couple of thousand comedians sending me their dick pics um but feel free to send them to to daniel i mean i'm sure he by all means <laughs> he'll retweet you <laughs> yeah um you know what's gonna happen? we're gonna have like uh cock like as in cock pictures of mm. animals not penises oh and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Being sent to us which is yeah which is, which is yeah, yeah perfectly reasonable um yeah no i, I just wanted i just wondered what you what you thought of because because of the whole because i rewatched your ted talk mm. about censorship and yeah which uh, is again why it was absolutely so hypocritical of me to get involved in the dapper thing mm. anyway um, but I mean, you've—I I assume. Uh, I mean, I've never seen it, but I'm assuming at some point you've been sent feedback on Twitter or Facebook. Oh, or, absolutely, yeah. And, and I mean, wh- what do you do with credit? I mean, how do you deal with? Because you—you talk to much more people than I do, mm. so statistically, more people are going to hate you in the nicest possible mm-hmm, way. Yeah. And as a result, you're going to get more hate leveraged your way. What? How do you deal with hate like that? Uh, work out whether I respect the person, and if I don't respect the person, I don't respect the opinion. So if it's just a random person that came to see you, if they're if look, I've got I've had jokes uh, that I look back on, and someone called me on them, and I'm like, oh fuck yeah, no, I guess I guess you're absolutely mm. uh, right. Like I just used to have fat shaming jokes, and someone called me out on it, and I went, oh, yep, oh, fuck no, yeah, no, you're you're right. Um, that is yeah, and I did, and you know I don't uh, do them anymore. I learned from that, but then again, I've had people uh, complain about the. So Russell Howard's set gets shown every now and again on like Comedy Central, and I've got a bit in there where it's about I call it my promosexual material because it's pro gay rights and stuff like that. Because mm. I'm obviously liberal and I jump on the bandwagon. And uh, some guy just came in and was a gay guy was like, "Oh, this was actually really offensive what you said about us." And although his his argument was, you know, I, I said to, I was stereotyping gays, which looking back on it, I probably was, but you know. But it was in a positive way, and the whole intent of the bit was, you know, uh, was it was meant to be good, and it, and it was co- a lot of comedy's generalizations. Right? Yeah, I could have explained that obviously not all gay people are like that way; that would be ridiculous. But then that creates a forty-five minute explanation before yep. I get to the punchline, and just with it, I was like, listen to the intent of the joke. Mm. Like, okay, I, I understand, and I will now be more conscious of it. But it was five years ago. Mm. Like, what do you want me to do? You were twenty twenty. I think it was twenty or twenty one. Yeah, like what? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was ignorant. I'm still am. There's going to be things I say in this year's show that in five years' time I'm going to look back and be like, "Oh, that was a stupid thing to think." Do you? I'm going to try and phrase this as nicely as I can. Oh, please, for first. Because because I'm trying to work out whether this. Because no, I don't want to insult you at all. Because you know you've given up your time. Can't be insulted. No, I know, I know. Well, you can, you can re- neglect it on Twitter, but in real life it might be much more harsh. Um, okay, so 
you, you, I mean, I'm quite young still as well. And if I do a joke, you know, I used to do a joke about how, um, so I used to do a joke about how uh, if um, some people say they stalk me online, which I think really undermines the good, hardworking stalkers who yeah. follow me. You know, that guy, it's just a play on words. Yeah. It's just a silly thing. And I do that same, that same kind of joke for stalking and then for, um, oh, I can't remember, old grammar Nazis and then for fraping. And then I never finish the last one. I just go, you all know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And it kind of does that. And I look back on it and I think, I feel like I made a good enough point. I feel like I was succinct enough that I'm, I'm clearly on the side of, victims in that and I'm not trying to do that mm. however I do think maybe I was a bit like childish to sort of think that I could and me because uh, I was 25 or 4 when I was working on that joke I was, I, I was maybe I'm thinking that's quite ahead of me mm-hmm. as it were in my, and do you ever have like, like that when you think if I'm, if I'm tackling like a certain subject you're like will people take me seriously because of my age or because of who I am or um, age I don't have a problem with anymore because uh, I've been doing this for 8 years now um, I've, I've I've earned my place on the circuit, uh, so I think I've got those years where I felt like a place in green rooms, like just sort of young. I, I was given a lot of TV breaks at a very young age because I was young, because I was arguably attractive, because I was a box ticker. I was something outside the norm, uh, and I was given television spots that we can all agree there are several other comics on the circuit probably deserve more who were funnier than I was, but. They didn't have the unique selling point. Uh, and because I was so conscious of that and so worried about it, that made me work my ass off to make sure. Like I was like, no, no, I, 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 I need to belong in this green room. Yep. I need to make sure it's not questioned. Like I, I, and it might be a shallow thing, I want the respect of my peers because they're my peers and I respect them. I don't think that's shallow. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I want... I, 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 one of my favourite moments of the, the 2016 was in Altitude and uh, Jim Jeffries was there and I was there with my mum and my dad and uh, I gigged with Jim a couple of years ago uh, I hung out with him in LA and I was a, I was a fan of Jim before I started stand-up mm. and I was just sitting talking to my dad and Jeffries came over and started talking to me and it was just a really cool moment where my dad was just standing there and watching a comedian that we went to see live together when I was 14 talking to me as a peer like he wasn't talking to me to be nice he wasn't talking yeah. to me he was, and I was just like oh this yeah, is the, inside you were like oh, I was like this on is the outside I'm like hey, dude, I was hey, just like oh hey yeah. Jim hey, was Jim. it Jeff can I quit Jim yeah I think I've seen you I think yeah I forgot the original question so I completely ran it, it. Well, it was just it was just an interesting point that you made where you were where you were saying that you look back on material maybe a little while ago and sort of say I mean what would what would you say is the worst show you've done in terms of so let me validate that in terms of maybe the learning process of making it or in terms of uh, the the material that you look back on and you think maybe I shouldn't have maybe I should, maybe there was just one bit in it that I, I feel like now I would never do uh, good question um, I don't know if it was the worst show I think the most difficult show I had was my fourth one so my first two years I was at Pleasance third year I was at the uh, Spiegel Tent Assembly and then I went over to the EICC where I've been ever since and I will be forever until they name that room after me Um, uh, but that was because that was the year that I changed my tone like I was that was the year when I you know started turning down certain TV shows because I didn't want to be a panelist, I didn't want to be. I want to be a comedian, and it's 
for me personally, it was very hard to be a comedian on a panel show. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm not a one-liner comic. I don't, I'm not a topical comic, I don't do political stuff and that's why I sort of I think American stand-ups um, the, I think that's why all the great stand-ups, most of them are American and it's because in America they go, you're a stand-up, come on this show and do stand-up. There's, yeah. co- there's like five or six late night spots every week and it's like, you're a stand-up, come do stand-up, you're a stand-up over here, yep. you're a stand-up, present go this go do a panel show, yeah, yeah, you're a stand-up be on a panel show, you're a stand-up and for the comics that are able to do it it blows my mind I mean you, you want to talk about great comics that nail panel shows you've got Sean Logg you've got Catherine Ryan crushes it whatever panel show She's and I've got so much and I just watched it been like I couldn't do that and, if, and it, I mean I could have done it had I practiced and really tried but it would have been taking me away from the stand-up that I wanted to do yeah. Um, so I started turning down TV I, I didn't want to be famous for the sake of being famous I wanted to do comedy with what I thought was more substance and the first time I was at the EICC I think, and I was still getting the audience that had seen me on McIntyre's Roadshow and, and Russell Howard's and uh, the Rob Brydon show and all that sort of stuff and the uh, Ten Cats, they were coming and then I was doing comedy about how there's no God I was doing jokes about drugs I was doing jokes uh, about you know death and darker sort of subjects, and every day I watched at least ten people walk out the show, um, and that was really hard because you weren't consciously trying to no, no, shake off no, the no, audience. No, no. You were trying I, to I, refine I, them into I not consciously shaking them off, but I, every day I did do that struggle of just like just do, just do cleaner stuff, just do cleaner stuff. Just when you see them leaving, you, I was just like, uh, and I really had to just go no, 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 say what you, say what you want to say, and you have to shake these people off. 
Was that was that the year that? Because I remember there was a year you had some shows and you had late shows. Oh, I do that every year. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought I thought you might have been you were doing late shows with slightly darker material. Oh no, that was just a very very clever marketing campaign on on my agent side. We did the early shows and late shows, and the later show was slightly darker. It wasn't darker. There was no more swearing. It was the exact same show, but you put on two separate shows. You get to be in the fringe brochure twice. Yeah, I tried that. I, I had an idea 2014. I was mm. going to call it Deja Vu. Mm. And I tried to get it listed twice because yeah. I thought it would be great if like it was just the same except for the second listing just said something like, uh, why are you still reading this? You just read it above or something like that in like a cocky, weird way. And then the Fringe brochure people, they were like, yeah, you can't list it twice because it's the same show. Yeah, I was like, but it's, it, I still want to pay to list Can yeah, I pay yeah. to list it twice? Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm more than willing to pay. I don't know how my agent did it, but she did it. Well, it's a different title, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, that counts. Why, yeah, yeah. But I want it to be, because of the deja vu, yeah. I wanted it to be identical. I mean, I probably did swear a little bit more, because it was a later show, and obviously, you know, the first show was at half seven, and the second was at, like, half nine, so I'm just like, I can probably say cut yeah. a bit more during this. Yeah. Um, and the audience, you know, the audience that had come specifically see there. So maybe I apologised a bit less for material. I went a little bit harsher, and I was probably a bit drunker for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, that year... That was a tough year, and I, I didn't really enjoy the show that year. But then the year after that was this was so that was the show. I think that show was called the show. And then I did stand up, and then I did really, and then I did dark. And those past three shows I've done have been. I've, I'm so so proud of them. That was the time when I was like, oh, and I've not found my voice fully yet. It's, it's, a, it's a constant ongoing thing because you change, and it's it's you're never done. But I was, I was like, oh, I'm in the right lane now. Like, I'm now going down those bits I was writing that I was really happy with. Like, I had a joke last year's show and this, well, this year's show about tampons. And I really enjoyed it. And it was kind of about the luxury tax in a yeah. bit. But it wasn't really. It was just about how I didn't understand why tampons weren't free. Mm. Right? The whole bit was like, we live in a country with free healthcare. How is that not healthcare? You're, you're bleeding. Yeah. Sounds medical. Yeah. And it was a 20-minute bit. And I, I loved it. I was like, oh, this is like a really, really good bit. And then I did a joke about uh, death and, and uh, you know, uh, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's just sort of saying stuff because to kind of go back to um, the the dapper uh, thing is I, about three years ago, began to realise how important some material actually was. It was a lot, it has a lot more effect than you think. I got a tweet from a, 14 year old kid in America uh, telling me that I watch, after watching my stand up he had the courage to come out to his parents and you just go what? Yeah. I, I had no idea I had yeah. no idea you don't, you don't have a clue sometimes there's no idea and I was just like that's huge yeah. and that was so if I've done that unconsciously and it was a, that was a great feeling I had a girl come to my uh, show about three years ago her dad was there she said my daughter's got a question and she went you always talk about you know, being pro-gay rights, how do you feel about lesbians? And it was so weird. But then I realised in my stand-up, whenever I was talking about gay rights, I was always very specifically making it men. Right. Right. Just not consciously, mm. but then realised that from her perspective, like, yeah, I'm a stand-up that she likes, uh, and I'm on stage doing all this stuff, but I'm, I, I was making it all about men, and it was not intended. I obviously meant gay rights all across the board, mm. but after that, I was very conscious to make sure that it was sort of, uh, I mentioned both of the terms were gender neutral yeah. or... Um, whatever, and and that's when I got s- just seeing those two moments, which were very nice. Yeah. Like, made me very worried about God. What, like, what about those? What, what about if some kid loved me 
uh, or any audience member, and I was, and then I just uh, joke about fat people, and yeah. this was like a body conscious kid, yeah, yeah, and and so I took that response. I, I, I just maybe don't think maybe Dapper didn't uh, think about that. But then again, why you know why would he have? Because he wasn't he wasn't getting the same fan base, and he and he, he was probably wasn't getting that level of feedback. Either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but for me, I became a bit more conscious of making sure just going who's the victim in this joke yes let's make sure it's always me or victims that I can justify yes yes I completely agree with that because that I see a lot of newer comedians if I especially I'm going to do like I don't know headline spot somewhere on an open mic thing or, or whatever and you watch them do something and you're like do you know that you're the high status in this or you're or you're the one who you, it's a bit like, like it's fine if you do like a joke where uh, later on like it's like sort of oh this person said it to me and then I had this witty comeback and whatever mm. and then you're like oh in reality I waited three hours to come up with that comeback yeah. you know it's fine when you're like that but when you're when you're actively trying to become the higher status than someone else yeah. in a joke sometimes I think you need to be aware that you are basically putting down some other group yeah yeah and yeah. I, I think a lot of young comics not a lot is incorrect it's I called think newer, newer comics yeah right? yeah. yeah newer comics um, watch comedians like uh, Stan Hope mm. and Jeffries, and they're like, "Oh God, you know, I can, I could, I could do jokes, but suicide jokes are funny." And you go, "No, no, no, you've not watched the bit." Yeah. Stan Holmes' bit about suicide is never making fun of suicide victims, no. right? It's ne- it's talking about it, but they, it's like it's it's the outrage culture. Some yeah. people hear the word rape and they just go offended. Yeah. Whereas you know you want to talk about uh, uh, Brendan Burns one year went out of his way to try and come up with a rape joke that rape victims found funny. Mm. And he did, and but then other amateur comics, newer comics, I mm. think probably watched that and went, "Rape jokes are funny." I've seen They're Ben Burns did a rape yeah, joke, yeah. and then he went out and just did a horrible rape joke, and you go, "No, you've missed the point of the." And then the media picks up on that and goes, "Oh, there's a there's an epidemic of rape yeah, jokes going yeah, on," yeah. and look at them taking the mick out mm. of this group of people, and you're like, "No, mm. it's just mm. you've you've gone to the wrong gig." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would never do. Uh, a real joke but not for any moral reasons it's just I'm not a good I'm not a good enough comic to do it yet I'm, I can't I don't I, I don't know enough uh, any any joke I would do about it would very very likely be ignorant and upset people and yeah, I think because that's the interesting thing because like sometimes you're not you specifically but sometimes a comedian's joke is deliberately ignorant just because it's funny that you would think something like that but I think there's a line between you taking the angle of I'm just saying something ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a bit like Louis, Louis' joke, for example, where he goes, um, you should never rape anybody unless you want to be in their body and they don't like you. you. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 it's such point. a stupid yeah. thing to say. And it's so far beyond... Like, it's clearly he's being ignorant and, and yeah. flippant about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you, that even, even friends of mine that are sort of a bit like, that's bad. You've seen them have a wry smile about it because, it, because it's so mad. Because, yeah, because the joke there is, he's the idiot. Yes. Like, I've got a joke in uh, last year, so I talked about how I had a gay drug dealer and I basically and it was it was true the way I used to wind David up my, my gay just my gay friend was just because we're friends I would just the whole time just pretend that I thought whenever I was and I still do it with like other gay friends very casually but I just pretend that I think being gay is a choice it makes me laugh I'm just like so I just said I'm like so when did you choose to be gay yeah and they're like, shut up. And I'm like, no, but like, when did you? When did you make that? Yeah, when did you make the switch? Yeah. Was it like, was, was it like you're filling out a form and it said straight and you went, oh, maybe it's just this year. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just give it a go. And the reason it's because it's so obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And I, and I obviously don't think that's the same. No. I say the most horrific things yeah. to my flatmate Jean, right? Just about. Um, I just, I'm just like, I should just do something stupid. I'll be like, and to think we gave you the vote. Because <laughs> like, yeah. it's so because obviously it's so, not yeah, yeah, what yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. But then other people will, idiots, yeah. will, and that's what people, they take comedy literally. Yeah. They just go, you said it, you meant it. I've got a line in my show where I'm like, my mum went to one of those pregnancy classes where women can go along and practice overreacting. Yeah. But I yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. And so, but no, no, I get that. But it's yeah. so obvious that it, I, I'm the idiot in the yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I um, I sometimes do that to friends of mine where, like, say, say, say someone does something just so stupid, I'll just sort of go, oh, we gave you the phone. Or, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just because it's like, it's reflecting that they've done something stupid. It's, and it's clearly me just meeting them. And the, and the victim of that joke is homophobes. Yeah. People are like, how stupid is it that people think this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how dumb yeah, yeah, yeah. would you have to be? You're making fun of like, oh, look at me. I think it's, that's for me at yeah. least. I think, but then again, I'm not a caveman, so maybe I don't know. Yeah, I have a I have a problem in that. I'm working on a, a joke about uh, gay marriage rights at the moment, yeah. and I wrote it, and I thought this is quite good, and I and I sent it to a gay friend of mine. And I thought, hang on, am I? You know, like on TV when they do a when like uh, say a woman does a joke or a man does a joke about women, and they cut to a woman panelist laughing, and, like, and, and okay. they're like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I was like, am I doing that? But online, is this really? But then I thought they're the only person who can give me Honestly, this like, honest opinion because they've been through it yeah. and they've they know what I'm trying and how I'm going, and they know me well enough yeah. to know that I'm clearly I'm friends with them, so I'm not anti-gay yeah. in any way. So, so I, yeah, done, with my guest, I phoned Craig Hill, and I was like, I've got this routine about gay people. He was like, are you really? phoning me I was like yeah because I just want to make sure and I went through it and he was like no that's, that's I'd laugh at that yeah. I'd, la- I'd laugh at that and I'm like good good I hope he didn't just say I'd laugh at that because that's yeah. awkward <laughs> yeah 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 I was, just, I was like is this does this sound ignorant he's like no no it's all okay. good and I was just like thanks Buffy and hung up the phone uh, <laughs> were you you were talking about TV stuff yeah and how you got that quite early and like you said some other people might be more uh, deserving or qualified Absolutely. or anything like that um, I think every comedian I've spoken to has said that about their own TV appearance where yeah. they've said there's probably someone better yeah, and, yeah. and it's just a thing we do because we all look at every gig I've ever had John Maloney could have done better right okay <laughs> um, but the thing is is that so I spoke to Adam, Adam Bloom recently yeah. and, I, and I asked him a question that I'm going to ask you later which is uh, what is the biggest problem with the industry and how would you solve it and uh, so think about an answer now but for him he said the biggest problem is that um, the industry seems to favour youth over experience because uh, sort of the new uh, they take someone who's new who's maybe got a competition credit or something and then throw them out there and go they're the new big thing whereas some whereas he was like um, I'm way better now than I was 10 years ago and I don't get the same opportunities as someone who maybe has just come through the Chortle New Act for example Mm -hmm. because I'm I've already on the circuit and I was thinking when you were saying that were you at the time aware that when you were getting these spots that you know, you might be getting them because they're sort of trying to not diversify, but trying to keep a bit of variety. To oh, the absolutely, mice. yeah, of course, or, yeah. And did Would that ever like throw you off? Without, no, that made me, that, that made that's that's what made me really work. Like, okay. and I, I agree uh, with what Bloomy said there, but then also uh, I think, and not in Bloom's case, because I think Adam is one of the mm. best headliners. Like, uh, on the, so I mean, I'm not. I've not seen him, but if he if he's just if he's better than he was two years ago, last time I saw him live, he's amazing. Like he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just saying flippant things. Just because it's obviously <laughs> not what you think. No. Um, <laughs> but I do think I've got some parts I agree with it, but then I also think 
the newer generations that are comic that are coming through are working so hard like uh not all of them but the, like you, you, you sometimes you know if you, i don't do jonglers or highlights uh gigs uh anymore but they'll be like oh how are these young comics you know getting all this work and i'm like you've been doing the same 20 minutes for four years mm-hmm. that new comic that you're sh- shitting on has written three shows yeah. in three years like i'm doing my eighth mm. solo show this is my eighth hour in a row this year and, and brand new every year and so when we're, how did you get that i'm like oh because i work but here, here's the interesting thing when i've spoken to most club owners they say they want a mix of consistent people who have like a 20 spot for example that they know what they're going to get so they know they can they know they know what material they're going to come down and do that it's going to work they can put them in every you know six to eight months or whatever and that means that they know on a bill two of the acts definitely will nail and then they can put someone else in the middle who's a new person or someone that they're trying out yeah. so I get it from the club's perspective and why maybe that person who's been going a little while has just that 20 minute for four years yeah. but I, th- I think it's um, who is it? Phil Nickel does that a bit where he does the circuit with like a set and, and then, then writes a show yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so I suppose it depends on why you're doing club stuff versus yeah. your show stuff yeah. Phil, Phil Nickel is a, is a great example you want to talk about like in altitude, there was one day when uh, I was on this. Oh, I, I thought I was on the same bill with Phil Nickel, and I was on after him. And I'm like, I, I can't follow Phil Nickel. I know. That feeling. <laughs> like, yeah. fortunately, I wasn't. Um, but yeah, he just go, oh, God, I can't. There's, there's no way I could have yeah. like that. Have you, have you ever asked specifically to switch places with someone because you didn't want to? Uh, no, but I ha- uh, No, 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 no. Because very, it's a proper pride thing. I'm like, no, no. I deserve to be in this green room because I had so, such a. I felt out of place in green rooms for years and years yeah. until uh, until like maybe in the last three years. Um, I remember I had a gig with Mark Nelson, uh, who's been my friend since I started comedy. And Mark Nelson's one of my favourite working stand-ups. Uh, I think Mark Nelson is a better comedian than I am. He makes me laugh harder than I make myself laugh. And there was gigs where. One, he was always a headliner. I was always support, and then one day it started switching when I was headlining, and it's because I had I had TV credits. It's because right. the audience knew me more than they knew him. Interesting. And so I was just like, and I just I was like, I like what? I'm I'm not, but I was just like, you've, I've got to bring my A game now. I've got to justify this because what would be worse if then two years after that, suddenly that switch yeah, went yeah, back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so if anything, the TV credits, uh, although you know provided you with a lot of stuff they also provided you with that I've got to work now oh yeah absolutely that the success I got young really I was like you've got to yeah. maintain this and you, you've also got yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got to make sure that while you're on stage those comics aren't backstage being like how the fuck did he get this kick yeah you've got to make sure that yeah um, so for, for me at least it really made me uh, work um, and go right okay let's not give it let's not give anyone the chance to question this mm. I think what I like most about what you just said was uh, a kind of shared ethos there where I think I think new comics are working but also they're working in a different way to mm. comics that have maybe been doing it five to ten years in the last five to ten years yeah. if that makes sense because the internet has become bigger and I think a lot of acts that are maybe a slightly older demographic are either scared or shun doing something on social media mm. and as a result we're, I mean, for example, you're quite big on Twitter, for example, um, and you've got a bit of following on Facebook and, and obviously Muff for YouTube. And, and by doing that, you're obviously making connections with your audience throughout the year when, even, mm. when, it, when you're maybe not even in the same country as them. Whereas, you know, some, some comedians who don't even think to engage or try and do 
any of that they might not see that as part of their job in some ways mm. you know well there's some comics that are i mean I, i'm not very good at social media uh really i'm on it a lot but I, i'm not you know I'm, I'm not as good a tweeter as rhys james or adam hess uh like the, i mean they you want to talk about people who nail social media like rob delaney Catherine Ryan, uh gary delaney gary delaney yeah these comics that are just so so good in it but i'm not I'm not good at writing jokes in 140 character format. In the same reason, I wasn't good at panel shows. It's like my my jokes are bits and ideas and sort of concepts that require me just humming an eye and being like, "Is this?" Yeah. Um, but, but, you, but you still do it. As still point. do. Still yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want to talk? I, Chris Ramsey, I think, is if you want to talk about someone who is the absolute king of how to do social media, I think Ramsey is up there. How he's able to. Uh, he, he, I, 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 I don't know how he does it, but the man, I mean, he's a, he's a great stand-up. He's got a phenomenal work ethic. And I know Ramsey for years and years was given such a hard time in the circuit, which was absolutely not deserved because he worked his ass off. And the reason people didn't like him was because he was good. He was good at self-promotion. Mm. And people were like, oh, look at him self-promoting. You're like, that's what Twitter's for. What are you talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he's just plugging a show every day, talking about how well his gig's going. You're like, he's not doing it for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing it for his art. You follow him. Yeah. Of course, as a comedian, you're like, I would never do that. And you're like, oh, yeah, and you don't do it. And that's why he's bigger than you are. Yeah. No, I, I, for, I like, for me, this podcast, for example, I started it simply because... I wanted to talk to some people in industry yeah. and no one was answering my emails. And I think we've all had that moment where we're like, I want to just ask some questions because no one, you know, like I, I just didn't feel like there was any resource out there for, for me. If I wanted to get booked somewhere, or I wanted to uh, find out what agent's looking for or anything. You can't just email them and say, what are you looking for? Because they probably get that email a hundred times a day or mm. whatever. And so I thought, how can I talk to them? And, and, then, and then I sort of, um, I started writing a book about two years ago about how you as comedians or as performers should make stuff just because you want it there yeah and that's what my thought was yeah exactly and, and I feel like uh, and I went to I went to a Christmas party a, a few weeks ago and there was a comedian there who said to me it's really inspiring that you did this and that you you know you actually make stuff and you put it out there and stuff and I was like you could do it yeah, yeah like yeah. it was just and, and they were like no I don't know where to find the time I was like well you you could leave now yeah, and, just, and, and yeah. on the train home and also I mean, you're you've got time <laughs> yeah I mean I'm going to edit this on the way home and then I've got a gig in Kent and I'm going to write my set on the way yeah. you know I, you, what are you doing on the train are you watching are you watching Muff on the train like not doing any I mean obviously you should but I it, it, <laughs> so I didn't mean Next. to catch you while you were smoking <laughs> <laughs> um, but you get my point though it's mm. like it's like I figured I could spend three hours a day watching Cats on YouTube or I could spend three hours a day editing a podcast and yeah. putting it out. Yeah. And I know which one I prefer. Well, the cats is the one I prefer. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but the point is, is that but I'm the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the comic you're talking about. I'm so lazy. Okay. Um, I, I, I work so... I play FIFA all day. I just get stoned and watch Netflix and stuff. But just because... Uh, I just want to be a stand-up. Like, how, how hard is it then? So... Um, you you tour so you do your show every year in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. You then come down to the Soho usually, or you have. No, it was my first time at Soho, in it, but I come. But I do the yeah. My year basically goes fringe tour. Fringe tour bin is the right. is my sort of yeah. And so how are you? How are you finding writing a new show and previewing it and doing spots? So because because I. I mean, I assume you don't do new material at clubs because that's oh no, that's exactly. suicide. No, no, it's the only place I do. New material. Oh really. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I put it in with other stuff. Uh, 
I used to be a bit sort of cowardly with it, with like uh, I, I'd sandwich it between two bits that I knew yeah. worked. But then Louis C.K. was heard in a podcast or an interview was like, I always, I always, wherever I'm most scared to put my weakest material is exactly where I put it. Yeah. Because that drives me to make it better. If I've got yeah. my weakest bit, I close the show with it because I'm like, yeah. this is such a weak closer. And then you just really you work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and you work on it more. And I'm like, God damn, that is a good, yeah. terrifying way of doing things. But No, it I, a, a year ago, uh, I was on stage doing a new material night. And I listen, I listen back to every gig I do because I'm stupid like that. No, yeah, you and absolutely it, have it's to. It's just mad. But I was listening back to it and I said something flippantly and it stuck with me for ages where I looked, looked at my notes and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then they all went, no, go, you know, because they were with me. And I was like, no, I can't sell it. You're not going to buy it. It's not like that. And I remember thinking to myself, I always need to sell it. Yeah. Always need to sell it. I never tell them you can't, even at this night where it's not the biggest, you know, thing or like the, the, the career break move because you don't know who's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, don't yeah. know, and you don't know who's there who knows someone who's there, if that makes sense. So, so I've always since then just gone, even if I am not 100% sure of it, I'm going to go down guns blazing regardless of if it dies yeah yeah. because I'd rather know that I died trying my hardest trying my hardest yeah, yeah. so I, I believe in that yeah no um, absolutely, you're absolutely correct and, and I think I didn't for years listen back to my sets and I it, you have to because mm. you even St- Stade's always been a fan of filming his sets and watching it back and I'm like why don't you just record it and he's like and he just went Dan I never realised how much my face did I never realised that you know and he really studies his movements and and you know, like how, you know, that turn there, if he t- did it two seconds later, the next day it got a bigger laugh, that eyebrow raise and that stuff. I mean, I, I still don't do it. Mm. Uh, I just don't film. And I find it so hard to watch myself. But listening to myself, I think, is as good as I can go at the moment. Okay. And into, and you mentioned that you, I don't want to say shunned panel shows, but it sounds like you've actively just been avoiding them not, not just panel shows but just like certain shows where I was just like yeah there's you know, I mean the money's okay but I, I never got into this job to make money right. um, I didn't and for, I've been lucky in my career uh, that I'm now at a stage uh, sorry, sorry I'm now at a stage financially where uh, I could make those artistic decisions to not do those shows because I didn't need the money so I was Okay. Which was which is which is a very privileged position to be in, and I'm so glad I am because I was like, oh, I don't have to do that show. I don't have to be happy and joyous and like, hey, I'm always on. I'm always on. I don't have to because that's not who I am. But you, so pre that, mm-hmm. when you were obviously coming through, and your agent was going, oh, I've got you this great spot mm. on. Oh, she was. Uh, she oh, was oh, let's say Russell Howard, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, how, that was that was stand up. So I was like, absolutely. Any okay. show, that, any show that's. Uh, straight stand-up uh, I'll happily do to an extent but in terms of when you're, when you're doing something like that show or mm-hmm. when you're doing any of those shows first of all um, do they pick your material on those shows because you know like you said you're, you're entering their house yeah yeah um, sometimes and I have a lot uh, I, there are some shows stand-up shows where if they don't let me do do the stand-up that I want to do where they're like it needs to be cleaner than that I go if I go on stage I was very scared like when I did the Palladium right 7pm had to do clean material and I'm just going to my age I'm like if I go out there doing clean material like really clean material the, the, the only five minutes of my show if I'm filtering through my hour of material and finding the five minute that is clean the people that haven't seen me before are going to see that clean and then they're going to come out and see this show about drugs and death and God mm. and 
they're going to walk out. I'm selling them a false thing. I'm selling them. And that's why I, I didn't want to do it. I, did, I, I don't do shows where I feel like I'm selling a false version of myself. Yeah. Uh, or false version of yourself on stage. Yeah, false version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because then they're going to they're say, oh, that's what he does. And then I don't do that. And then they're mm-hmm. going to be like, huh. Like, yeah, I, sp- I spoke to uh, Nick Helm briefly a while ago. And he was saying uh, Uncle, the show he did, was really bad for him. Because people came on, came thinking he was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then obviously he shouts at them. For an, obviously that's not what he does, but that's. But no, no, so it's, different. it's 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 in your face, rock and roll, and yeah. it's it's. Nick is again one of the ones you just go. I'm not following Nick Helm. I yeah. don't, don't want to do that. Like that's yeah. a energy and a style that I can't match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. But then again, you, I guess you you have to follow those people. Like you've got to learn how to get an audience who've just gone through high energy and be like right so because there's some John Maloney is a perfect example John Maloney can follow any comic mm. and within two seconds he'll bring the audience be like alright you may have just seen you know Russell Kane you know doing this frantic frenetic da 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 and John will go be like no back down at my level and yeah. it's possible and it's watching comics like that you just go ah maybe I shouldn't be as scared yeah or, or as not willing to do that sort of stuff yeah I did a I did a gig a couple of months ago and a comedian went on before me, and I'm friends with this comedian, and and they nailed it. Like they they did so. Like they had an applause break in the middle, and then at the end, and I was like, I've got to go on now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like the MC was like, Are you gonna be all right? Like, because you join me to do a bit in the middle and do the. I went, just bring me on. Yeah. Just bring because at the moment I was like, if if there was a break or something, you know, you'd be like, I'll take a minute and I'll do whatever. I just went on and I did, and I've been, I got invited back and stuff. And I remember when the promoter was like, you know, you did really well. I was like. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. much better than, than any feeling you've ever had before yeah. where you where you know that the person before you has done that well so you've had to you, you've had to match yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the nice kick up of the arse I think a lot of us need yeah definitely definitely I, I know I would have liked to have if I could have switched it around but then I think would I have because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not going to make me better yeah and, exactly yeah. yeah okay um, these are these are quick fire questions uh, and so you can take as long as you I don't oh, know, I was just oh no fine sorry go that's okay these are quick fire questions but you take as long as you want to answer cool. them ask every guest them okay um, what are the best uh, books on stand up writing comedy that you've ever read uh, none okay um, I think an important book to read uh, and it's just a great one is I Killed I Killed I Killed is a book a bunch of road, a bunch of road comics from America got together and got all the other road comics were toured like during the 80s and 90s. We're talking like Chris Rock and Duck Stanhope and Jerry Seinfeld and stuff. Just to tell their weirdest road stories. And uh, their deaths and their, their their weird sort of exact things. It's just a really good book. Um, and you just hear... And reading about how much people you respect died on their fucking home. Yeah, yeah. And ate shit. It was really good to read because I was just like... Because oh, sometimes when you die, you just feel like I'm the only one that's done this. Mm. Like, you see all these other comedians that are amazing you're just like oh they never die and then you're reading oh no everyone does everyone yeah, does yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you sort of need to be reminded of that because you only see their highlight reel otherwise mm. and it's why uh, slightly off topic uh, the DVD I just recorded I did it in one take yeah. because I got fed up of watching DVDs that are you know like four nights in a row yeah yeah spliced together yeah, 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 and, yeah. and, and, and there's some bits of it that are not as good and I've done better and, but I'm like I'm putting it up as it is because yep. I want it to be as a show would be yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than that yeah you, you don't want to create that, that falseness yeah definitely definitely. so I get that that sounds like a good book um, what's the best show you've ever seen uh, live uh, either live or on DVD uh, Bull Burnham what okay I think it's just, why uh, it's got 
It's unapologetically intelligent. Um, it's the old Bill Hicks mantra of play to the smartest person in the room. There's no compromise in it. Uh, it's smart on a thousand different levels. It's talent on a whole different scale. Bill Burnham is the reason I will never be the best comedian my age. He's a month older than me. So for one month of the year, I'm the best comedian my age. <laughs> and then I turn his age. Okay. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you get over it? Uh... The comp, yeah, probably when I was would would see an audience and realize that they weren't going to like what I was doing, and I would do tamer or cleaner material, uh, and I started writing with Tom Stade, and he would just if you want, he's again unapologetic with the way he does his stand up, and uh, yeah, just watching the way he just went, tell them if they hate you, they're going to hate you. If they're not your audience, you'll find them next time, um, and I just kept writing material that made me laugh, and instead of Good. Uh, what was the phrase that Kai Humphries came up with? There, good comedians can tailor their material to an audience, but great comedians can tailor their audience to their material. Nice. I like that. Uh, what is the most interesting thing you do that nobody else sees? Has to be comedy related, not like wanking. Or okay. Like, um, <laughs> I watch a lot of stand-up. Like, uh, I, I don't. If you go into my phone, I have maybe two music albums. And about thirty or forty comedy albums. What What would be the one you're listening to most at the moment? Um, was I love I love Pete Holmes' Nice Try the Devil. Uh, it's what I've been listening to quite a bit. It's just such a ridiculous fucking show. And uh, yeah, or podcasts, comedy podcasts. Um, I like I like. I know a lot of people don't. I love talking shop. I love talking about the way we do this and how it works. And I love listening to people to talk about it. I find it, I find the whole business fucking fascinating. Uh, so yeah, I really study. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with comedy. I've been a comedy fan since I was five years old, and I yeah, really really into it. So just binge watching comedy, binge listening to comedy. Um, what what podcast other than that would you recommend? Uh, other than this one, clearly, obviously, <laughs> uh, the Comcom podcast. Uh, Stuart uh, yep. Yep. Uh, Pete Holmes is uh, you made it weird. Yep, uh, Bill Burr's Monday and Thursday morning podcast. Yep. I listen to religiously. Full Fop with Will Anderson and the Dollop, which is one I just started listening to recently with Gareth Reynolds and uh, uh, Dave Anthony. Is I was just sat on train laughing like a psychopath yesterday. Just I must look so stupid. Just like gut laughing. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah. I, I was listening to Rahel Estepa, Rahel Estepa the other day. And Who? Rahel Estepa? Richard Herring's Leicester Square. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was listening to that on the train the other day, and I just found myself laughing. And I saw someone noticing that I was just laughing, and I was like, "I don't give a shit. Uh, you don't know what I'm listening to right now. Like, you, it could be. I mean, yeah. So yeah, I've had that. Um, when you look back over your career, this is probably going to be that Jeffrey story again. But when you look back over your career, uh, what memory makes you the most happy? Um. Yeah, so maybe one of those those sort of moments where the mo- there's, there's been a few when I, I've I've had a gig and there's been comedians in the room and a lot of comedians in the room and you have a good gig yeah, and you have a re- and you hear the comedians' laughter because the, the audience don't get me wrong the audience laughter is lovely and that's why we're in the business but when you hear that second laugh yeah. from the left <laughs> it's such an I some of the times I prefer that laugh because yep. I'm just like 
they know what they're they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like they know comedy, and if I get that reaction, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, making making comedians laugh with my stand up. Yep. Yeah. That's the best. Yep. Uh, what is the biggest problem in the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it? Uh, well, what I would say the people at the top who are in. It's it's hampering talent. It's not letting talent be talent. It's getting young or new comedians and using their naivety and their sort of uh, promising them this big opportunity, but then making them compromise who they are. And they and I think teaching them that that they have to compromise um, in order to, to get anywhere. And you don't. It's much harder. It's way harder if you don't compromise. And there are a lot of people who don't compromise who won't make it. But uh, I yeah, I think just not letting talent be talent, telling talent what to do. And the way to do that is either every commission head and comedy head needs to uh, leave or go to more comedy clubs or just have a bit more, you know, balls or, you know, tits uh, to just be like, yeah, fuck it, we find it funny, yeah. Well, let you do you do. Let you do you. Let comedians be comedians. It's like Louis' sitcom. They yeah. just said, let him do it. And well, yeah, because he turned up and he was like, I'll take a pay cut yeah. massively and I get to make every artistic decision. Yeah. And obviously, Louis' not for everyone. Perfect example. More people know Phoenix Knights than they do Louis. Yeah. But we all prefer Louis. Yeah. Well, all the comedians prefer Louis. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, like I said, I understand why they do it. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. about advertising, it's about yep. viewership. Um,. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? Sleeping. Do you know how many people say that? Mm. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I get it. I would be really tired as well. But I don't know. I, I was expecting. I don't know why. I'm ex- I, at some point, I'm expecting one person to say, oh, "I'd climb Mount Everest." Or so I know. I just no one. No, even you yeah, know. I just enjoy everyone. the extra hours of sleep. Fair and enough. Then probably have a better work ethic that day. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Uh, don't ask the audience how they are. Okay. As in you mean you come out yeah. and say... I used to always, for years, be like, hey, how are we all doing? Are we well? Are we good? And stage was just like, why do you ask the audience how they're doing? I'm like, what would you, you mean? He's like, Dan, you don't you don't care. You're lying to... The, the first thing you do to your audience is lie when you come out and say, how are you doing? You don't give a fuck how they're doing. You care how they're going to be. And you tell them how they're going to be by doing what you do. And uh, I haven't asked an audience since... Just like come out and just go straight into the stand up or So yeah. you go hello and then Not even hello. Okay. Just like Fair enough. I always used to avoid it and then someone said to me, But do, wh- how they how you're supposed to feel like you're you know, in the room with them and stuff. Yeah, I mean, and so like, I started doing it, but then I started sort of going, you know, I'm alright as well by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of right now we just come out and be like, Thanks for coming, which I genuinely mean, like yeah, genuinely yeah. thanks for coming, but just sort of meander a bit and not not come out punchline heavy, not not be terrified of that first laugh and how long it's going to take to get there yeah. know that it's coming yeah uh, what uh, if you could give one bit of advice to a comedian who wants to make a career in this what would it be uh, love it always love it and the second you stop loving it get fucked get out of the business I don't like hearing comedians complaining about how much they hate comedy there are enough comedians and there are a finite amount of gigs if you're not enjoying it get fucked give it to someone else who's got the drive the second you stop loving this job, fuck off. Cool. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? Uh, it could be personal or comedy, this one. <laughs> that, that I am right most of the time. Uh, 
know. Um, yeah, just that you don't just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean that it should affect your relationship in any way. Learn to. I've got people I disagree with, and it used to wind me up. I can't respect you if you believe that, and I'm just like, oh, why the fuck do I care? Mm. You're a person. Everyone's a human being. Act act as such. Yeah, fair enough. If you could go back and give yourself one bit of advice before your first, let's say, the stand gig, what would it have been? Uh, Start younger. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Don't just. uh, I would. I'm so happy I started when I was 17 because I love the fact that I'm 25 and. I've, just, I've got eight years under my belt of proper experience, but not as much as I'd love to be 25. I have nine years under my belt or 10 years under my belt. Because um, nobody remembers your first gigs. Like, I, I'm, I'm, my agent forced me pretty much to do my first Fringe show in 2019. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't ready for the Fringe. I wasn't ready to do an hour. And you know what? It was crap. Who remembers my first show? No one. Who remembers my second show? No one. Who remembers my third show? No one. Who remembers my fourth show? No one, but that's four year. That's four hour long shows I did for uh, different hours, and that experience is unquantifiably valuable. Was that the same with TV? Then were you? Did they say we want you the a spot on whatever, like the road show or something? Yeah. And you were like, I'm not ready. Oh no, I, I was. I was so ready for that. I was, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, they were like, Do you have ten minutes? I'm like, Yeah, I've got, I've got a killer ten. Well, no, it's not about. I, I mean, it's not just about having ten minutes in that situation because. Obviously, you're going to have to... I mean, do you burn the material when you've been on TV? Because obviously, Sometimes, yeah. so many people have seen it. I imagine that you can't just go to a club and then they'll go, oh, he's that guy, he's, he only does that, I won't go and see him on but tour. But my, my material change. I've done jokes on TV that when I do them live, they're so different because they, you know, jokes adapt and change as they go on. Never, never, never put a full stop on a joke. Never think a joke's done. Like, it's a joke is never done because the second you get complacent in it is when you start getting bored of it. Oh, also, a bit of advice, get bored of your material. Get get bored of it, yeah. Because uh, the second you get bored of it, you're either going to put more work into it, or you're going to bin it and, and get on. I love. I get so bored of jokes after I've told them. Like after a sort of year or two, and I, I, it's great because it makes me do more. It makes me write more. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming. Oh, on. thanks for having me, man. That was Daniel. He is so much fun to talk to. I I sort of had to find him around London because, as he said, he's not really a tourist, so we didn't really know where we were we, we we recorded this in the south bank center so there's a little bit of background noise uh here and there but i think i've managed to get rid of most of it and well at this stage if you listen this far i'm assu- i'm presuming it was fine and you didn't have any issues hearing anything if you'd like to find daniel online you can find his twitter feed at daniel underscore sloss if you'd like to tweet either of us a picture of a cock feel free to do that that would be amazing and if you've skipped part of the podcast and you've come to this bit of the outro that won't make any sense to you. Sorry, but that's your fault for skipping over it. You can also find uh, his sitcom online at muffproductions.com and if you would like to see him touring around, it's all on his website. Please do support him if you'd like to see him live. Other than that, if you would like to support this podcast, please do consider joining the Facebook group. It is called RC Industry Podcast and it is on Facebook, of course. Consider leaving... I'm re- Okay, I'm really running out of ways to say these things. Right, like it's it's. I've done it forty six times now. So here are, here are the things. Right, you can join the Facebook group. You can leave us a review in iTunes. You can become a patron on Patreon dot com. You can leave me a one off donation. Um, 
or you uh, and you can buy my book right pick one or two of those things and please do them because they all help in different ways oh so you can share links i keep forgetting them should have made a list you, you do one or two of those things please really it would really help out the project if you are loving this project as much as i am and you think there's some value to it recommend it to a friend please consider donating some money because it really helps me have a budget for the future don't donate if you don't have money because i don't want anyone else going into debt for this than me so if you can't afford it don't do it but if you can afford 80p an episode that'd be great if you can afford to buy my book for five pounds that'd be great whatever you want to do to support that'd be great speak to you soon see you in about 10 days bye hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the future isn't scary not realizing its potential however could be Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.